0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. X-Ray. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Billion Care Bake. Let's talk about money.
1: And for the first time, I'm gonna introduce myself. I'm Will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Will, we had a we asked listeners for questions today, and we got sent in uh, quite a few questions, more than we can actually even answer in a single episode.
1: Love it. Keep them coming. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, I think a big theme was uh, talking about taxes. I think they're still on everyone's mind after filing last week, and a lot of entrepreneurship questions. So, I think we should just dive in and answer some questions.
1: Yeah, let's dive. So our first question comes from Dan, who asked, I was upping my 401k contribution and discovered a Roth 401k was an option as well as the plain 401k. Could you talk about the differences?
0: Yeah, Dan, so this is a really good question. Um, I've definitely talked about Roth versus traditional IRAs on the show before, but I don't usually cover Roth 401ks because it's pretty rare to have access to those, but they're Becoming more and more common in your 401k package. So, a quick review of the difference between a 401k and an IRA. Um, those are w- the difference between a 401k and an IRA is how you set it up. So, an IRA is an individual retirement account, and that means that you set it up on your own and you contribute to it on your own. A 401k has to come through your employer. So, what a Roth is, is kind of the difference between Roth and traditional in both the cases of the 401k and the IRA is the way they get treated taxably. Generally, when we talk about a 401k, we talk about how it's pre tax money, which means that you pay less out of your paycheck to save more. So, essentially, if you put aside $100 out of your paycheck in the 401k, you only see $75 come out of your paycheck because that 25% that you might normally pay in taxes, uh, you're not paying. And so the great part about a traditional 401k is it lowers the total amount of taxable income you have. So it can be really good if you're close to qualifying for the saver's credit, which we've talked about Mm -hmm. in another show. And it can be particularly great if you're in a tax bracket where you really do want to lower the total amount of taxes you're paying. Generally, the rule of thumb is that you want to prefer a Roth type style, which Roth means that you're paying, you're saving that money. After you've already paid taxes on it.
1: Okay, oh, so wow. everything everything with Roth is...
0: So what Roth means, essentially, is that you already pay taxes on the money, and then you put it away, but then you don't pay any taxes when you pull it out. A traditional, either IRA or 401k, means that you don't pay any taxes on it when you put it away, which means you get to put more money away than you would after taxes. However, you'll pay taxes at the time that you withdraw it. Mm-hmm. So... Generally, it's kind of a a future prediction exercise. If you think you're going to be in a higher tax bracket at the time that you pull it out, then you might want to do Roth. Because if you have a low tax bracket now, you're not going to pay that much taxes on it. And then it grows tax free. And
1: you won't have to pay extra taxes on your big pile of cash in 50 years. Exactly. Was Roth a person? This is getting uh, off topic.
0: Yes. Roth was a person. Uh, Roth, I believe, is a congressperson. Huh. Rob uh, Roth. Was. I
1: like how that sounds. I, like I,
0: really I, I was going to say, we automatically assume that it's a dude because it's a congressman. Uh, so one of the things to know about Roth versus traditional 401k is that the contribution limit is still the same for both of them combined. So if you want to kind of split the difference and do part of your contributions as traditional and part of your contributions as Roth, you still have a maximum you contribu- can contribute, which is $18,000. Total, not total. per account? Yes, not per account. That is total. Another thing to know is if your employer matches your contributions. So remember how we've talked about before. If you're getting a match on your contributions...
1: You should max that out. You
0: should max that out because it's free money. It's essentially a raise. Mm -hmm. The Um, contributions that your employer makes to your 401k can never be treated as Roth. So they're always going to be pre-tax contributions. They will be traditional. But it doesn't matter. You can still get your Roth contributions to your 401k matched with a traditional match. They'll all go in the same account. Essentially, they'll just be treated differently under taxes. Here's the main thing I should emphasize. Saving for retirement is more important than stressing out about the tax treatment. It's really hard to predict what future tax rates are going to be. So if you're in your 20s, you know pick one. I, it's more important <laughs> to me that you're saving for retirement than you're stressing out about future tax Right. Scenarios. You're saying
1: just do it and don't get hung up on yeah, those details. Yeah. Don't yet.
0: get hung up on that. I will say traditional 401k is great if you're trying to lower your tax burden. And if you're already in a pretty low tax bracket, if you're in the 15 or the you know 18% tax bracket, then Roth is usually great because it grows tax free. And um, hopefully your income goes up over your career. And mm-hmm. so you'll be paying a higher tax rate uh, in the future,
1: what's the plan? It, it's
0: hard because you have to kind of predict politics too, right? Like, are our taxes going to go up? Or are we going to become a socialist socialist, you know, mecca and have fifty percent taxes, <laughs> or are we going to, are we going to continue to have Trump esque, you know, policies and we're going to lower the tax rate? It's it's hard to know um, if you're really far out. It's pretty easy to run the numbers. There's a bunch of calculators for this. Once again, the main thing is save for retirement. Don't freak out about the tax treatment because you can't predict the future. Do
1: one of those, Dan.
0: Yeah, do one of them. And also, congrats congrats on upping your uh, 401k contributions. I'm glad to hear that.
1: So our next caller, our next questioner, our next person is Max, who asks, I'm considering quitting my job and switching to freelance for the first time. If I want to freelance, what kinds of expenses and taxes should I expect? And what sort of things like bank accounts and systems should I set up? How should I decide if I can make the transition and what should be my goals for finances?
0: Oh, this is a great question. And I feel like I'm in a great position to answer Mm -hmm. that because I uh, moved to being mostly freelance. You
1: could could have been Max.
0: Yeah, I, (laughs) I essentially was Max about a year ago. Um. So the first thing I recommend is get to the point where you have an emergency fund and I love to see a six month emergency fund before you take the leap. Um, eight month is even better. um I had I had two I had a two years worth of savings saved up before I took the leap, but I wasn't going pure freelance. I was also kind of starting a business that's more, more than freelance so I needed more buffer mm-hmm. you should be aware of what your startup costs are going to be so if you're currently freelancing let's say you're a graphic designer right so let's say you're a graphic designer so you don't have a ton of tools of the trade you have a you you need a computer you need nice software but uh, you don't need a espresso maker because you're opening a coffee shop right you have yeah, yeah, no industrial
1: robots no exactly uh.
0: um so I want you to make sure that you're able to pay for things that your work might currently be paying for that you are going to need in order to set up your own shop. A lot of people kind of underestimate this when they're starting a business. They kind of forget that like, oh, crap, my $3,000 laptop is provided by my employer. Um, be aware of what the tools of your trade that you need for a, a successful freelance business and make sure you have that saved up to buy it. You also should prepare yourself to be paying a lot more taxes. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, your income is variable when you are a freelancer. Usually you're jumping from project to project and you don't necessarily have the steady income that you have, which is why you need the emergency fund. But you also need to be taking everything that you earn. You need to make sure you're setting aside taxes because you're responsible for paying your own taxes as a freelancer. You're going to be paying more taxes as well. So not only do you need to account for what's taken out of your paycheck as a regular W-2 employee, you need to also account for the self-employment tax.
1: Right, which will whack you at the end of the year, as I found out.
0: It will totally whack you at the end of the year. So you should expect to pay an extra 12 to 15% on top of whatever you pay normal taxes on. So not only is there the self-employment tax, but um, there's often local business taxes that you're going to have to pay as a freelancer. So if you make For example, in my county, if you make over $60,000 in a year from your business, gross, not after expenses, but gross, so that's your total amount even before you pay taxes on things, um, then you also have to pay 1.25% tax. And that's in Multnomah County? This is in Multnomah County in the city of Portland. It's actually a joint um, city-county tax.
1: Oh.
0: So- No matter where you are, even if you're not in Multnomah County, it's very likely that there's some sort of local or state business tax that you might have to pay. Usually there is a threshold that you have to meet. So often $60,000 a year is the threshold that just sort of someone at some point made that the rule of thumb. Um, So you should prepare yourself to be paying those taxes. So when you get in money, you need to account for needing to pay for those things. Right. You are only paying taxes on things after your expenses. So one of the next things you need to consider is setting up systems for yourself to be able to track your expenses. First recommendation I have is even if you're a freelancer, even though it kind of feels like you're just self-employed and that, you know, whatever, it's just the same as having a job, only less stability. Mm -hmm. You are a business. You are treated like a business by the government. And so you need a business checking account. Usually, to set up a business account, you need to have either what is called an EIN which is a taxpayer number similar to a social security number, but for your business. An
1: EIN. Okay. What does that stand for?
0: EIN stands for employer identification number. Oh. And it's essentially the main reason you would want to have it is it protects you from having to put your social security number on a bunch of forms for your business. So it's kind of like a, a nice threshold for you. And usually you need it to qualify for a bunch of things that you might need for your business. For example, a checking account. Having the business checking account doesn't necessarily mean that you need to incorporate. You can set one up for your business, even if you're just going to be a sole proprietorship. Just means just you, right? You're just a freelancer. Gotcha. Um, but having that EIN, it costs like it costs nothing to set up on the IRS. If you Google around, there are sites that will try to charge you, but you can literally get one for free from from the IRS. They want you to pay your taxes, so they want to make it easy. Yep. But you can choose to incorporate with what is called a DBA or doing business as, which is essentially just giving yourself a business name and your business name, you don't need a DBA if your business name contains your full name. So if I was Lillian Kerbake, Lillian Kerbake, you know. Incorporated. Can't use incorporated because technically you need to be a corporation. But if I was... Enterprises? Limited, enterprises, any of those things. Unlimited? Yeah. It has to be your full name technically though. So if you want to just use your last name, you actually can't. You need a DBA. Huh. A lot of people kind of skate this, but this is the legal definition. Um, But usually for just a couple more dollars than setting up a DBA, you can set up an LLC, which is a limited liability corporation. Mm -hmm. It sounds a lot scarier than it really is. (laughs) Um, It's essentially just a business entity for you. It doesn't actually, a lot of people believe that it limits their liability because of the name. It doesn't really protect you very much. If someone wants to sue you, they're going to sue you as an individual just the same as they sue your LLC. So don't necessarily believe that it's protecting you. But it does give you slightly more credibility as a business. But it also gives you um, occasionally access to some sorts of things that you might want, like a business credit card or things like that. It does give you a, a small degree of protection, but not 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 really that's not really
1: its entire purpose here.
0: Yeah. And you don't need to file separate taxes for it. So a lot of people get really freaked out and they're like, oh, I don't want to do business because then I'm going to have to do business taxes. If it's a single member LLC, it's just the same essentially as being a sole proprietor. It's done as part of your regular taxes. Um, It doesn't save you any money on taxes. It just sort of protects you and makes it easier for you to set up some of your systems. So we've gotten to the point where we've covered you need to plan for your taxes. You need to have an emergency fund in place. I want you to set up some sort of legal entity for your business, which mm-hmm. could be as simple as a business checking account if you're going to use your full name, but otherwise could be a DBA or an LLC. Usually cost about 100 bucks to put together an LLC. It's very cheap. You do it at the state level. So whatever state you're going to primarily That's operate in. That's with whom you
1: register your exactly. LLC. Exactly.
0: Okay. And then... I really want to emphasize that setting up an accounting system from day one is really important when you make the jump to freelancer. And that's because you suddenly have tons of expenses that you can deduct, right? You can deduct anything that's business expenses, and you won't need to pay taxes on those because that's a cost of doing business to you.
1: But you need those all itemized, I imagine.
0: You do need them all itemized. And it turns out a lot of people think that they're going to just go back and go through a shoebox of receipts at the end of the year, (laughs) uh, or they don't keep receipts at all. And they're like, oh, I'll just look through my email and figure out what I spent. Just set up an accounting system. Make it easy on yourself. It gives you a really clear idea of how much you need to save for taxes. There's a lot of things that you can tax deduct. That laptop that you might buy, you can tax deduct um, so essentially, that means if you buy a $3,000 laptop, the first $3,000 your business makes won't be taxed because you're using business profits to Dude, buy a that. business expense. Exactly. There's a couple websites I recommend that help walk you through. One, irs.gov is actually pretty amazing for walking you through what you can deduct. Um, and it's not as scary as it sounds. It's, it, it's actually a pretty great website for freelancers. Um, also, freelancetaxation.com is I found very helpful. It's literally just a list based on types of businesses of what you can consider tax deductible. It's set up by a CPA. It's just, it's totally So it's free. just
1: things that are considered to be legitimate expenses.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's helpful to see that all spelled out because you might not even think of some things. Like, oh, my to-do list application that I pay 30 bucks a year for. Oh, that's actually tax deductible. Things like that. Um, and uh, the what where am i oh god oh uh,
1: roth IRA oh yeah another
0: website that's helpful for this is called carefulsense.com and um that is explicitly about managing money as a freelancer so i've i found both of those very helpful so you've got your business checking account set up wasn't painful you know you can find one that's totally free um, you've got some sort of accounting system set up. Uh, QuickBooks Online is a very common one that a lot of people use. You can also go for something like FreshBooks, which has integrated invoicing. As you will discover in a freelancer, getting people to actually pay your invoices is about the most (laughs) annoying part of it, chasing them down. You should understand that as a freelancer, a bunch of your job now is managing your job as a freelancer. So if you are a graphic designer who just loves designing, there is a lot of reasons why being a freelancer might not be the best move for you if you literally never want to deal with admin because you are now going to, you own a business now, right? If you become a freelancer. Right, you're
1: dealing with the scheduling and the finances and and the collections. Yeah, and and and
0: invoicing net 30 and doing sales and looking for clients. Custodial work. Exactly, all of those things. I mean, being a freelancer is also amazing. I'm not going to like, there are a lot of advantages to it, but you should recognize that a bunch of your job now is just managing your job. The last and very, very important thing is understand that you now need to buy your own health insurance. So if you have health insurance provided through work, um, I want you to realize that you're going to have to start paying for it. The great part is it's totally tax deductible. Um, A lot of people have no idea how much their health insurance costs. They just like if they get it through work, they just have no idea. You know, maybe maybe some of it they pay for. Maybe the employer pays for all of it. What you can do is you can go log on to Mm healthcare.gov and you can do research on how much it is going to cost you for a plan. Um, And, you know, you can walk yourself through kind of what it's going to cost. It varies wildly by region and it goes up as you get older and if you have dependents. But you should plan for having to cover your health insurance. And I want to make sure that you have that money in an emergency fund to pay that health insurance as you get your business started because Mm -hmm. I don't want you to end up in the situation where you go without health insurance to save a buck.
1: So so kind of what I'm hearing overall is that before you quit your job and switch to freelance, you should batten down the hatches and make sure there's not any surprises.
0: Make sure there's no surprises. I mean, there's going to be plenty of surprises, right? Because right? you're a freelancer, <laughs> so you're trying to control what you can control.
1: Yeah, take and, care of the known unknown.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the answer to that is normally save a lot of money. Get yourself <laughs> Get yourself prepared, really, to make that jump. Yeah, good luck on the jump. I hope you can make it happen.
1: Yeah, report back. Heather wrote in and said, I'm a small one-person LLC business who did really well last year, but I had to pay a bunch in taxes. My accountant mentioned the possibility of it being advantageous to incorporate at some point. How do I know when is the right time to do this? Yay, taxes. They pave our roads. <laughs> Good attitude, Heather. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a great attitude to have, although I don't think it's bad to try to minimize the amount of taxes you pay as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, this is an interesting question. So I'll, I'll talk about the broad outlines, but um, you mentioned that you have an accountant. And I would usually at all times recommend that you want to run the individual numbers for your individual circumstances if you're considering something like this with an accountant. And that's just because I can't – if I don't know your individual numbers, I'm not going to be able to necessarily tell you what makes the most sense. So you know more about your business than I do, and an accountant is actually a very helpful person to talk to in this mm-hmm. situation.
1: So what what is incorporation exactly?
0: So, um... The type of corporation that Heather is mentioning here is an S-corporation, and that's different than a C-corp. A C-corp is these corporations that are people, right? Yep. <laughs> these are separate okay. entities from their owners. So
1: a C-corp is like the classic corporation, I think. About that it. you like, think about. Like when Exxon you, Exxon. Yeah, or... yeah, uh-huh. exactly.
0: When you think of those big logos that you could recognize anywhere, those corporations are C-corporations. And um, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is what is called a pass-through entity. And a pass-through entity is a a corporation or a business, like something like a realty trust. Donald Trump has a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are things that are seen kind of similar to the owner, but they're special entities meant essentially for the tax advantages. The idea is that say you're say you're a business, say you own a coffee shop, right? And you own a coffee shop as an individual. And it's incorporated as what is called a limit li- limited liability corporation, which is what I just recommended to Dan that he would yeah. set up. Um, so, not Dan. Who did I just Uh on? Max. Max. Uh, so, say you have a limited liability corporation as a coffee shop. Uh, this is, you know, the type of account that I just recommended to Max that yeah. he set up. So, the LLC is... Essentially, you are forced to pay self-employment taxes, even if you work in the business sometimes and have other employees. And this is because any profit that you take out of the company is seen as self-employment wage income. So you're having to pay your, your, both your employer and your employee uh, benefits of Medicare, of your Medicare taxes and your, oh my God, wow, words are hard. Okay.
1: That's okay, you're explaining corporation, corporate, yeah, <laughs> corporate um, tax law. <laughs> uh,
0: so, as an as an LLC, essentially, you may have workers that are working for you that are working when you're not there, right? If you have a coffee shop, you might be an owner, but you might be gone, and the employees might be working for you when you're not there right so having an LLC kind of sucks because you might be making profits off of off of the work that those employees do when you're not there mm-hmm. but you're getting taxed as though you're an employee earning wages so you're getting taxed as self-employment income if you pull that money out of the of the company oh so it's kind of set up as though you're a wage earning employee even if you are actually earning You're earning what is called a margin off your employees doing work when you're not there, Mm -hmm. right? So the idea is that you shouldn't – the idea of incorporating as something other than an LLC – with a pass-through entity is that you want to be in the kind of situation where if you've got other people working for you, if you've got assets doing work for you, when you're not actually doing a wage transaction, then you should be paying lower taxes on it. I see. Okay. So that I, this is people often encounter these when they're doing real estate. Um, but let's say in Heather's example. So she, she works in some sort of job. Let's say she's a, User experience designer. Sure. So a user experience designer, the main thing that you need to consider when you're trying to decide if you want to incorporate and and not have to pay the taxes on some of your wages um, at the self-employment level is that the first thing you need to know is that you need to be making enough where you are paying yourself what is called a market level salary first. Okay. So, if she's a user experience designer, let's say a reasonable market level salary might be fifty k a year, right? Sure. So, th- like that's it's feasible. Theoretically, you could maybe be making a lot more. You could be making less, but that is a justifiable market level salary. Okay. So, let's say that she actually pulled in a hundred thousand dollars last year. She had some contractors. She you know hired some work out to other people, and she made a hundred thousand dollars in her business. Um, if she's an LLC. Every single one of those dollars is going to get taxed as self-employment income. As But if she has a pass-through entity, which is something called, one, in this case, it would be something called an S-corp, which is different than a, it's a shareholder corp, which is different from a corporation like a C-corp. Right. Um. So the great part about the S-corp, Heather, is that you would be able to take what is your market level salary. So as a regular employee, as though you're taking a wage. So the company would pay your portion of this, of your taxes and you would pay your portion of the taxes. So it's similar to a self-employment tax because essentially a self-employment tax is that you're paying both halves and you would be doing that anyway because your business would be paying half and you'd be paying half.
1: Okay, so in this time, you're not really doubling up like that. You're with not. The
0: well, you, you are still doubling up for that first fifty k, so mm-hmm. the first fifty k, you're paying yourself as though you are an employee, and you can also pay other employees just the same, right? You know, yep, you'd be yep. paying the employer portion.
1: Okay, so um, the ultimate deciding factor then, in when the right moment to incorporate is going to be, you, have to have a lot to do with the cash flow. Or her, exactly, her business it has expenses. everything
0: to do with your income. So you need to be making enough where you're making more than your market level salary. Plus the extra expenses that you're going to incur as an S-Corp. So as an S-Corporation, you're going to have to cover some expenses that you don't have to in a single member LLC, like workers comp and stuff like that. Like you don't do workers comp for a single member LLC because if you get injured on the job, you're your own boss. Right? right. So that that's but you do have to do that with an S-Corp. So there's there's small expenses. Plus, S-Corps are more, you need to file business taxes. So you've got the additional expense of your CPA is going to have to pay to file two tax returns for you. Remember I mentioned with the Mm -hmm. LLC, you only have to file one if it's single member.
1: So she should probably just have her accountant run those numbers and take a peek at what looks better.
0: Yeah. I mean, so for the sake of simplicity, let me kind of walk you through kind of where the numbers would be. So if she makes $100,000 of net profits... And she pays herself 50K of a reasonable salary. The IRS Mm -hmm. is very clear that you need to be paying yourself a reasonable salary. You can't pay yourself a tiny amount and then take the rest out. So then the rest of that you could pay yourself in non-taxable dividends. And the dividends are taxed only at a very much lower rate because it's a pass through. So the fifty k that you you could take out in a salary, and then say you could pay yourself twenty five thousand dollars of dividends. So
1: this is why it's called a shareholder corporation.
0: Exactly, because you're and paying. And you are share- the shareholder. You are the shareholder. You can actually have up to a hundred shareholders um, for an S corporation. Um, so say you had a minority stakeholder, you had someone that's like one percent or two mm-hmm. percent you would also have to pay them dividends. So the disadvantage of incorporating as an S-corp, if you do have another shareholder, is that any money you have to take out has to be equally distributed based on the number of shares that someone has. So Mm. if you took out $10,000 and you had a 1% shareholder, they would need to get 100 of those dollars. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's equal to the amount. Um, But Heather's example, she'd be a single member LLC. So if she took out these non-taxable dividends of $25,000, the total tax that she would pay would be $7,650. So essentially, she's saving over $4,000 in taxes in this scenario, which would more than make up for the extra expenses that she'd have to pay for workers' comp insurance and professional fees for incorporating and stuff like this. Um, it's totally a thing where the CPA should run the numbers. My other recommendation is pay for a lawyer's time if you're going to set up an S-corp because it's actually pretty complicated mm-hmm. to incorporate. And I'm sure
1: it's something you want to do right the first time.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, DIYing it could end up biting you in the butt later. Um, I want you to, if you're in a situation where you are considering this, if last year was a really good year, but it was a rare really good year you might not want to add complexity to your business if you think it's unlikely that you're going to see that kind of income again. Um, Because S-Corp is forever until you decide to convert back to an LLC, which costs money in both situations, right? Okay,
1: so it's not, okay. You
0: can't just choose it for a tax year and then (laughs) go back. Um, And so, like, say, you know, say you're a writer who sold a book one year and you had a ton of money in one year, but then the next year you're going to make five thousand dollars off blog posts and no money at all
1: okay um, huh. so know, they want you to they want you to stick consistently within a specific yeah i mean tax, it's not
0: finally. that i don't know if they care if you do that but it's gonna cost money and lawyers fees to switch back and forth and so you wouldn't necessarily you don't you don't just get a pick and choose in an individual year okay. your corporation is incorporated the way you incorporate okay, it okay so no and, that's
1: good advice so so make 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 sure you know what you're doing and yeah. do it the right way
0: and make sure that you're making enough where you've got a market salary and dividends Um, The other really great thing about pass-through entities is that you can deduct business losses in years other than when they occur. So um, if you've got a lot of startup costs with an S-Corp, you can kind of carry that expense over. That's oh, what we saw that Donald year year. Trump was able to do, right? He had this oh, massive right. business loss, and so he was able to like carry that amount over to many, many years in taxes. So if, for some reason, say you're constructing a building for your business or something like that, and you're going to have a year where you have really massive losses, you may be in a situation where an S-Corp makes sense because you can continue to deduct those costs, uh, costs over many tax years. I see. Um, huh. I mean, it's probably unlikely that Heather is a single member LLC is in that position, but uh, right. that would be one of the other reasons. No, but to that's, do
1: that, that, that's a much more interesting topic than I would have expected. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Our last question today is from Carrie and Carrie asks, how do you budget during big life transitions? What are some tips for when your routine is out of the ordinary so that budget category spending gets all wonky and out of balance?
0: This is a really good question, Carrie, Um, especially because we were just talking about possibly starting a business and, you know, all the expenses that go into that. Um, Moving is another great example. So one of the things that I want you to understand is that the budget is a living document. And so it's really important to understand that the budget is meant for where you're at at that moment. Um, I don't want you to get too stressed out about the budget being a perfect template that has to look the same from month to month. So the first thing is to, like, give yourself some grace. Like, the goal of a budget is so that you can roll with the punches, right? Mm -hmm. The goal of the budget is so that you can be prepared for these big, unexpected, kind of wonky life circumstances. Um, Let's take the example of, like, I, you know, a couple years back, I moved to Germany for six months. So everything about my life just totally changed. I had a lot of startup expenses with, like, you know, renting a flat in a new get in place, there. I imagine having enough of a buffer that I could handle the fact that it's much harder to find a job when I'm living in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all all sorts of things like having to get a new phone that could take a German SIM card. Um, and there's just there's just a lot of expenses. Um, one of the things that I did was. Give myself a budget for all those kind of wonky expenses. So this included not only like one time expenses, like I'm going to need to buy a cell phone. I also did, you know, oh, the fact that I'm going to be eating out a ton for the next couple months because I don't have I don't have a kitchen for, you know, a month right, like I'm, a I'm traveling all the time. And, yeah. and um. so one of the things you can do if you really want to kind of Get a realistic picture of what an average month looks like for you, and and kind of isolate those things. Are put the money for that life transition that you're in, and put them in separate subcategories and main categories. So mm-hmm. I literally had a category. I you know I just moved in November, just moved apartments, and there's lots of incidentals that come up when you move, like oh crap, we need coat hangers, and you know we yeah. bought a bunch of food for our friends that helped us move. Um, I just put a big category that was. You know, moving expenses and broke it out, so I had my budget for the move overall, which was my sinking funds, my savings, that preparing for those known unknowns, yeah, um which is what is the what the budget is awesomely prepares you for month to month, but you have to accept that like you are rolling with the punches, and it depends on how much you want that data, so like I'm going on this big trip in August, and I want to know you know how much I spent on train versus plane tickets. But I'm not going to stress too much about like m- how much I'm spending on eating out because I'm just giving myself a budget for it, taking it out in cash and then spending it down. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to track every single individual one the way I recommend you do when right. life you're is planning kind of-
1: out ahead of time where you want those dollars exactly. to
0: go. So, you know, if you've got big life transitions like you you know, your spouse or your parent is in the hospital and so you're eating a bunch of overpriced hospital food or, you know, you're paying for a house clip cleaner because you've got a crazy stressful time at work and you feel like you don't have time for it, um, or you're moving, or you're quitting your job and becoming a freelancer, I, I want you to understand that the budget is meant to be for the moment that you're in. So when you're setting it up each month, think about that month. Don't think about what this perfect month, you know, is like make sure you're accounting for the expenses that are realistic in your life right now and don't beat yourself up for spending money on things that you're going to, you know, don't be like, oh, my God, I spent two hundred dollars in restaurants this month and I normally spend 30 if like that's where you're at. Change it if you want to change it. But if it's just based on like this big life transition, just account for that in the budget. So Hmm. separate categories are great. And the other thing I really want to encourage is don't think that there's a such thing as a perfect budget. Like a budget is a living document. It's meant to capture a moment in time. So really think about that. And if, you, if you're in a really big life transition, say you're moving or you've gone through a cancer diagnosis or you've just got a, a ton going on. It's okay to rethink your big line item priorities if you just need to fix your cash flow. So if there's things that you wouldn't consider emergencies like eating out at the hospital, but Mm -hmm. overall you're having something big and crazy and scary happen like a cancer diagnosis, then you're a great candidate for, hey, maybe I'm going to pull back on my retirement contribution so I've got a little extra money. Maybe I'm going to save up less money for a laptop in my sinking fund because I'm worried about the here and now, that's part of living life, right? Like, you're human. (laughs) Uh,
1: Though in in all those cases, it sounds like having a good budget would help with your flexibility in those instances.
0: Exactly. Like, a budget lets you... The great part about in big life circumstances, ones that are very costly, um, is that it's really great to have the budget so that you can see where you can cut you can you can actually the budget gives you the information about like well okay maybe my priorities have changed you know like maybe this month i'm spending almost no money on groceries and i'm putting my whole grocery budget in my like fast food category because that's just where i'm at right now i'm on a road trip or something like that Um, And, you know, so I think the big thing is to understand that it's less important to keep this data pure. I don't want you to stress out about like, oh, my God, my dining category is going to be wrong and then my averages are going to be off. (laughs) I totally get that because I love data. Um, But it's more important to understand that the budget is a tool for living your life. It's not supposed to be running your life.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And and that 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 seems to be one thing you've been consistently saying about budgets as as a as a tool for for helping you get that economic freedom rather than something to to take it.
0: Yeah, it's not meant to make you miserable. The budget isn't supposed to be make make you miserable. You're not supposed to be a slave to the budget. The budget is supposed to be an awesome tool in helping you feel great about your money and feel like you're on top of your money. Cool. I always like to end on budgets as you know because mm-hmm. I think they're the most important. So I think that wraps our show for today yeah our producer is will Romy, and our intro music is by aaron parecki and i'm lillian care your personal finance educator and host thanks for listening and till next time remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you oh my dollar is now a weekly podcast so you don't need to wake up at 7:30 a.m to hear the show check us out on itunes overcast or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review it helps other people find the show